Hi, this is Bron Burton and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. There's that music. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to 3RRR. You're on Radio Marinara. I'm Anthony Boxhall. And I'm Kate Mills. How are you, Kate? Oh, pretty awesome, man. The weather is spectacular out there at the moment. It's very light winds and just a good day to... I can see you looking out the window I, because I you're not in the studio. <laughs> I've got different weather where I am. Where are you? Oh, I've got oh. I've got grey, overcast, but it's still lovely. I've got the sun shining, nice glassy water. It's oh. looking beautiful. I'm Western Port Bay at the moment. Brilliant. Well, I'm down near the the, the end of um morning, the peninsula, morning peninsula. So there we go. So we're in different bits of Victoria, and we are indeed bringing you the show from our various beaches. Um, and we are not in the studios. This is kind of fun. This is true marinara, though, really, isn't it? it? Is. Like we should we should be doing it from a ship, to be honest. How do you like, know? That's, we're not. that's the next one. <laughs> like those those trees you can see, that is part of a ship. I'm on a ship. Well, isn't that how you cure seasickness? Stand under yeah. a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. And we've got the wonderful narrator in the studio who's pressing all the buttons and making us go um, live on um, on air today. Hey, we've got to start by thanking Tim. I just like I, I don't know how he does it. Yeah, well, just, he, he just, just does. It's getting better and better. I think he's a robot, like, no, honestly. Like, you just, you can't be that consistent without some sort of technological or, aid. Or maybe, a, 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 you know, like a really beautiful old wine that just keeps maturing and getting deeper <laughs> and better. And, you know, like, I just, it's, you know, I've run, literally run it. This is the 27th year and I've run out of superlatives. <laughs> that is my favourite one, though, Abs. Of all of them. <laughs> hey, we've got a massive show, massive show today. We've got, um, we've got all kinds of people joining us live from all kinds of parts of Victoria, actually. So um, for those who do watch TV, now I know it's very uncool and no one under the age of 25 knows what a television looks like. But for those who do, the ABC had a live doco about 10 days ago called Southern Ocean Live, which you can watch on a streaming service. So for those who have and watched it can stream it. Um, it's stunning. Anyway, and they, they went live to a whole lot of people underwater. And we're going to be joined by Cherie Maris, a longtime friend of Marinara, who has um, who was one of the people they went to live um, under the water. I'm going to talk about how the hell they did it and what they talked about. Wow, the technology involved. So cool. And the fact doing a documentary live. I know. Underwater. Yeah, what, what a risk. My goodness, and I bet, I bet sure he's got the odd story about what might have happened and might didn't. But anyway, yes. we'll come to that. Yeah. And then, um, hey, it's the Philip Island Whale Festival. It most certainly is. We had Dave on last week just giving a quick plug for it, and this week he's been busy over here, and I believe conditions have been sensational for it. We've had sort of you know, low swells, not too big, and then sort of those light winds, and people have been out spotting whales 
whether it's out on a boat or around town, there's whale tails popping up in windows. And by that, I mean cutouts of cars. I was going to say, sea level rise has gone a bit crazy down there. If that yes, was there, yes. But no, the whole town kind of changes in a cows. There's um, stuff happening sort of all the last two days, and there's some more stuff going on today. So we're going to cross to him live from Woolamai Surf Lifesaving Club, and he can give us a bit of a surf report. And, and they just let, serve coffee at this hour, don't they? I'm just double checking; it'll be okay. Like it's not so yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. That's all right. He, he might still be there from last night. Who knows? Those <laughs> whale watchers are pretty keen. They are. Um, but then, yeah, we're going to move from something as big as whales, and our last guest is going to be Alady Compress from Deakin University, who has been on the show so often that she even has her own sting. I think the only person who actually has a sting for Radio Marinara segments um, to talk about spider crabs. So Deakin University have been out um, recently spending quite a lot of time diving on the crabs and recording a whole lot of information. And hopefully it's the first step towards answering all those things we've been pontificating about on Radio Marinara for many years. And we're actually getting some science done. So that's quite exciting. It is fantastic. And and, and, and this is well known, Alady's been popping in every almost most weeks, actually, for the last six or seven. And it's building up to the point where we're really starting to find out the answers so it'll be kind of cool so we're doing a longer segment with her actually today aren't we so we can can delve into it a bit more um hey should we do a bit of weather and then um catch up on there's been some bit of news this week actually bit interesting stuff. but well, let's do weather, weather the weather's pretty quick and easy to do i had the joy of doing this last week in that the weather was 13 for every single day for a week <laughs> last week so that made no. doing the weather easy it is much the same this week in that it is going to be 14 for the rest of the week until Saturday, and then it's going to drop down to 13. And pretty consistent lows to, you know, seven, sixes, fives. Yeah, so, yeah it's, we're in that time of we're year. Winter, we? It's going to be pretty now. pretty clear sunny days for the next few. So a little bit of cloud, but some sun and sort of light wind. So, you know, if you've got the opportunity, get out amongst it while you can. It's, you know, it's just a matter of putting more clothes on or more rubber, whatever it is, whatever tickles your fancy, get it on and get out there. Yeah, nice. And so the water temperature, have you got any sense of what it is at the minute? I was taking my foot in yesterday and I, I would say that on the range of cold to cold, it's probably cold. It, it varies depending on where you are. So in the bays, it can get a lot cooler because of the cold nights mm. and the shallow water. So I've seen reports of it being down to about eight, nine degrees in some places. Already? Um, wow. Yeah. And then open ocean sort of more around 12 yeah, so veritably, you know, it's, yes. it's really quite warm in the open ocean at the minute at 12. <laughs> I've had some lovely surfs in it recently. It's been fine. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Hey, now, for those th- those who watch this kind of thing may have noticed that this week the um, UN Oceans Conference was on. Uh, it was on in Portugal. And it's one of these um, things that happen every... Oh, now I'm going to fall over on that. I, I thought they were about every three or four years, but it might actually be more often. Anyway, the Oceans um, Conference, and it's it was co-hosted, it was in Portugal, but it was co-hosted by Kenya and Portugal. They kind of swapped them around a bit like the cops, you know, the climate ones, they swapped them around with through countries to run them. And um, a lot of countries went. There's a little bit of news. Um, new Environment Minister Federal, Tanya Plibersek, she was there, made the news and the Prime Minister popped in, I think, in one of those other meetings that he's been, you know, flitting around doing. Um, but what's interesting about this is it's it's when the all the countries come together and they try and agree on some things. And now um, it would be safe to say that in terms of getting things done, UN processes are slower than glaciers, but 
glaciers are disappearing and they Europe are, seems yes. to be taking a lead on kind of making that point. And so it's really interesting. I'm not going to read you. The, they do these um, declarations and they have a draft declaration that gets re kind of written through the conference, either gets strengthened or weakened or whatever. But this draft declaration, actually, and I think it might even be close to being signed off because they've almost finished it. It kind of, um, it says, in fact, they did, they finished yesterday. So, but basically they, they do think, they do administrative things in their declaration, like reaffirming what they're focusing on. Um, but they've recognised that the ocean is fundamental. It's really interesting. Like it's pretty basic stuff, right? Recognise the ocean is fundamental to life on our planet and to our future. It's an important source of our planet's biodiversity, plays a vital role in climate system and water cycle. So they're kind of making the point to the countries that the ocean's part of who we are and how we live. Um, and therefore, and then so the, the fourth point is we therefore deeply are deeply alarmed by the global emergency facing the oceans. So that's pretty strong language for a, a UN body. We, we reaffirm that climate change is one of the greatest challenges of our time and are deeply alarmed by the adverse effects of climate change on the oceans and marine life. Um, we emphasise, just kind of grabbing, you know, the headline out of some of the, you know, because the, the, they go for pages, these things, um, emphasise the particular importance of implementing the Paris Agreement, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, they're, they're making that link between climate and ocean sustainability that I think that comes naturally to us and probably our listeners, but is probably not something that, you know, every politician and every person understands. That link is so intimate. The oceans and climate are kind of the same thing. Um well, that's exactly what I was thinking, is that we innately think that. And it seems like oh, the duh moment, but it is so nice yeah. to see that it is going to be, you know, the idea is that everyone everywhere in the world is going to have that view. There's a, it, absolutely. And look, there's a whole bunch of actions and stuff. And so I'll let other people, if you want to, you can search it up. But it was just interesting that it was on and they were being so strong about that climate ocean link. But anyway, you got a bit of news before we play a bit of music. I do. I actually forgot to mention it's the sea slug census is on. It's kicked off on Friday and I've seen some beautiful photos of sea slugs turn up in all the socials. So if you get a chance, get down to your local rock pool. It's a low tide. It was about eight o'clock this morning. So you could probably listen to us and head on down at the moment. It'd be a good time to get down and have a look around your rock pools. But the one thing I wanted to talk about, Anth, is you know, we, again, that common knowledge thing, we know how awesome temperate reefs are. We know how beautiful Southern Reef and our, you know, sponge gardens in the bay and things are. But we constantly feel as though we're battling against coral reefs for attention. Like there's this thing sort of happening. And it's true. We are. You have I, evidence. I have evidence. So we've been banging on about temperate reefs for a long time because coral reefs have been looked at more often. And there's a recent publication has come out that was analysing the number of publications that are looking at corals or sponges. So pretty simple. Okay. So like as in published in science. Yeah, yeah. so going through all the yeah. science journals and going, okay, yep, looking at sponges, corals, and basically just categorising them by year and, you know, putting them together. So from... Yeah, 1950, even through to the early 2000s, very similar publication rates of people concentrating on corals and sponges. And then early 2000s, this thing happened where corals just went off the charts, just kept on. It went from about, you know, 500 odd publications a year to 1500, while sponges plateaued at around six, 700 publications. So it's about double the amount. So we are up against it when it comes to... Um, coral reefs in this area so our sponges and our sponge gardens are important and so this is a call and a push for more research in this area 
And what a wonderful segue to our next um, our next speaker, our next our first um, guest for the day, which is Shereen Maris. This is Frank and Colin from Lano and Woodley, and you are listening to Bron and the Team on Radio Marinara on Triple R. Frank, would you like to say anything? Uh, that's okay. enough. Oh, that's it. That's. <laughs> <laughs> we love Lena Woodley. Awesome. Um, unfortunately, Bron's not here today. Um, but uh, you know, how could how could Lena and Woodley know that? Because they they were actually not here when they said that. But but anyway, hey, you are indeed on through Triple R. You are and Radio Marinara. Um, before those messages, um, we had uh, Minot Oil and Alice Sky, Terra Australia, from that wonderful Macarada project that the Oils um, came out with, a bunch of incredible Indigenous singers. A couple of years ago. Um, for those who do watch television, and I do believe that it's entirely a generational thing now, I think that um, it's only people who are over the age of 25 who watch television. If anything's to go by my house, everyone else watches streaming services who's under 25. About a, about 10 days ago, the ABC had this wonderful documentary, um, Southern Oceans uh, Live, which was fantastic, which involved a series of marine scientists and marine communicators and wonderful marine people being actually live either above, on or under the water right around the southern parts of Australia. And it was to build on a really successful docker they did a couple of years earlier on the ABC where they crossed to the Night of the Coral Spawning live. It was fantastic. Anyway, one of the people who was underwater at the time, who's an old friend of the show um, and a self-confessed mermaid, um, was Marie Cherie Maris. And Cherie joins us this morning online to chat about the experience. How are you, Cherie? Good. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. Um, now, look, I've got to say, this doco has had, you know, people have been raving about it ever since. And I, sh- I will point out for those who, who haven't seen it, it's on iView. You can watch it. It's well worth it. You don't get the live experience, but at least you get the experience. Um, congratulations. What a wonderful project to be involved in. I know. As you know, you know, I've been working in this space trying to showcase how incredible, how incredibly colourful and diverse the southern shores are for, you know, what seems like forever. So for the southern shores to have such an incredible profile um, nationally, showcasing all the, you know, diverse habitats, the scientists, etc., was just a dream come true. And to be asked to be involved with that was just like, oh, a pinch me moment. And I think it, it took me a little while to actually come down. I actually didn't watch the show back until a couple of days later. Because okay. I was just, because I, I couldn't watch it because I was underwater. But watching it back, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of, you know, Northern Pictures to have this incredible vision. And because let's be honest, the, the, the tropical reefs often get a lot of the attention so to put the spotlight on this environment was just incredible and apparently it was one of the top trending hashtags on twitter southern ocean live so that's pretty cool so even the cool kids were getting on it and hashtagging away (laughs) that is very cool now for those who didn't see or for those who did see you were actually under the water and you were doing you know like as in you know as a marine scientist and a marine communicator you've done all kinds of things over many years but was this the first time you've actually ever crossed live on tv underwater like essentially kitted up like a scuba diver underwater chatting to someone somewhere else 
Oh, absolutely. The technology, and I'm not a techie at all, but the technology that enables that just blows my mind. So we had a, you know, a full face mask that, you know, just clings to your face like an octopus or some mollusk, and it doesn't move. But you can actually hear people communicating all the way from Phillip Island. They've got the full face mask. You've then got this communications underwater cable that goes up onto the top of the pier at Blair Gowrie. The magicians there, the audio technicians, you know, work their magic. And I could actually hear them talking from Phillip Island. And it was just surreal to be able to have that dialogue, you know, to be underwater. Having a conversation with Australia, essentially, it just like yeah. my mind is just blown. So, yeah, the, the logistics were were pretty extensive. I think just at Blair Gary, we had a crew of, I think, 10. Then there was a crew at Wyala. Then there was a massive crew where the panel were in Phillip Island. So Northern Pictures, who pulled this off, was just extraordinary. Like, it's, it's multitasking at its finest. And, again, oh, incredibly now, privileged. With those, ten, those five, the, the, sorry, the 10 that you had in Blair Gary, I yeah. understand half of them are above water, half of them below water. What, so so there's just there was you and Dan who were talking live from underwater, but there were other yeah. people around you. Was it kind of, was it like you were underwater or were you, did you feel like you were in a studio, you know, surrounded by technology? Definitely felt like I was underwater. I'd just come back from Spain. I'd just come back from the Mediterranean where the water was nice and warm. And then I came back to Port Phillip where it was a little bit colder. You know, you've got your wetsuit on, so I was actually quite toasty. Um, but then, you know, you've got fish moving all around you and you've got rays coming in. So, you know, the marine environment's really dynamic, so it's hard not to forget where you are. And so you have the cinematographer who was incredible, Simon. We had a safety diver. We had, you know, legendary Pang Kwong in the water. And then there was Dr. Dean Miller. So there's a lot of people in the water. And then, you know, double that, you know, up the top. So, yeah, again, really surreal to be able to have that conversation. And you never know what's going to happen. I think that's what makes it really exciting. I think they had a Port Jackson swimming around at Wyala. We had, you know, the crabs. There were lots of fish. Um, I had a... A seahorse that didn't want to be on camera, which was also, you know, really great. Hey, so, here's a seahorse. So you, oh, no, there it live, goes. It seemed to me like live that you found a, a, a pregnant male, you know, seahorse, a male seahorse carrying the eggs live. Um, yeah. So, and how did you coax that seahorse to kind of, you know, that you just kind of were kind of looking between the, when they switched to another site, were you kind of looking around and going, oh, cool, there's a seahorse. I must tell them about that next time we're on screen. Yeah, pretty much. So we had to look to find where a seahorse was because we knew that the seahorse was a really important part of the story. So we found a seahorse, so that's where we kind of set up. So, but of course, you know, the seahorse didn't, you know, didn't really like the light. So as soon as the camera went on, it was out of there. And, you know, that was like, oh, okay, it's my life story. You know, swim off male, there you go. <laughs> but it was it was really interesting. Have you ever used one of those full face no. masks? No. No, and I oh, understand gosh. I haven't actually not to not to speak to people and I haven't I understand that when you're listening to what they're saying, you can't breathe because the bubbles are so loud. <laughs> yeah. So you can't hold is that right? You're holding your breath. Yeah, yeah, you do. So you obviously you've got to breathe. You can't hold it for too long. <laughs> yeah. But at some point you do have to kind of hold because otherwise you can't listen. So it's really, really tricky. But you know, the, the sound is actually quite clear and not only are we hearing it through the mask, but also have this massive underwater speaker too, so you could hear oh, them. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, it was just incredible. But you know, and there was, you know, three vans full of all this 
techie stuff. And I'm just like, wow, this is very sci-fi for me. You know, oh, I'm just like, okay, so hey, Sheree, just, yeah, just don't stuff up. Just don't stuff up. Because, you know, who knows what's going to come out of my mouth, let's be honest. But I get all excited. <laughs> I'm like a little puppy. The water. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, you're trying to, got all these logistics. You've got this noise when you're breathing, so it makes it really hard to hear anything. You know, you've got animals swimming around you. There's the timing. It's, yeah, it was just the execution was just absolutely extraordinary by Northern Pictures and, you know, and the ABC. And I'm just so proud of everyone and just really honoured to be involved. And, you know, I think we've been having a bit of a chat, but, you know, to showcase invertebrates was just amazing because, you know, the big stuff with, you know, the vertebrates often get the spotlight. So I think that was also a real highlight for me. And I think just before I go, so Cade, do you want to jump in? Sorry, you go, Cade. Oh, no, that's all right. Hey, Sherry, Cade here. Look, I wanted to say, first of all, I'm actually one of those people that hasn't seen it yet. Um, but I have had family members get in touch with me saying, you have to watch this. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and they're not, they generally don't care. They actually don't think I have a real job because I get to go <laughs> diving for work. So it is... Yeah. The, the reach, I guess, this is having, have you had that sort of feedback from members in the community or people that maybe know of what you do but don't necessarily pay much attention? This seems to have grabbed that attention of a lot of people who don't usually watch this type of stuff about what's in their backyard. Absolutely. It's been phenomenal. I know people who, you know, not really interested in the marine environment at all, and like you, have no idea what I do, don't think I really have a job. Um, and it just blew their mind that this is actually in the southern shores and I think that's why this has been so needed and why it's received the attention that it has I mean I looked back and I watched it and I was blown away some of the vision of the abalone diver I forget his name at the moment um he was oh, in WA. a that was remarkable oh the footage was extraordinary mm. and I'm just like how did you actually get that and so I'm even blown away. So for people who aren't, you know, water babes, to see their reaction has just been off the charts amazing. And if people want to see it, it's actually in my Instagram um, profile. So the link is in there, the hot links there, so you can go back and watch it and just be amazed. And, you know, the researchers that are out there that are doing all this really great science so we can get a greater understanding, it's just like, oh, it's the ant pants. I wish we could have this, you know, every week. That'd be great. Oh my goodness! I know it'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? And and we'll just finish up on 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 with well, the thing that you reflected on, and Kate and I were talking about earlier. That there seems to be this wonderful resurgence of of non coral um, invertebrates. We're talking about invertebrates more and more. And I remember actually on Marinara, gosh, probably 23, 22 years ago, I used to do this monthly thing called Invertebrate of the Month, and it was designed oh. to raise the profile of nerdy things that nobody ever talked about. And the wonderful yeah. thing, I think. I loved about the show was that there was so much about invertebrates. Cherie, I kind of feel like maybe, you know, maybe there's a tipping point and people are starting to realise that the ocean is full of these really cool things without bones that are kind of or just as great looking, just as wonderfully interesting and just as important as all the things with bones. Oh, absolutely. I think it is. I think this has really put a lens on those types of animals. Yes, you get your, your big megafauna, but there's also the smaller stuff that are just as extraordinary and alien-like. And I'm just like, oh, imagine if we'd had nudies in there. That would have taken it to the next level. Mm. Yes. Oh, no, that's the next one. Yes, that's the next yes. one. Pitch that. When you next talk to Hamish McDonald, just say, hey, you know, we'll spend an entire hour filming nudibranchs all over the oh. world. It'll be extraordinary. 
Oh, they're amazing. They're so good. Yeah, I think this is the start of something bigger um, for the southern shores. And, you know, there's lots of great research and great projects being undertaken, but I think this is going to be a catalyst that we put even greater focus and that the southern shores actually gets greater prominence in the media and people's consciousness. And for me, I just hope people appreciate it, want to go out there and explore it, whether or not that is just by beach combing or putting on a mask and snorkel, because it's just extraordinary. Well, Cherie, thank you. What a wonderful place to finish. And thanks for joining us this morning live on the show. From You can probably let you get back underwater. Um, yeah, thank and, um, you. Keep in touch. Thanks. Cheers, Cherie. Cherie Maris there, wonderful marine scientist, marine communicator, and, and one of the uh, many live co-hosts of Southern Oceans Live on the ABC. Um, it's Cade. Seriously, your job this week is to go and watch that. It's on iView. <laughs> I, I just, you cannot have, seriously, it's wonderful. Gladly. And actually, Sheree just in his spot. I just want to go and get in the water and go and have a look. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. talking to her. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to get out there. Hi, this is Wayne Lynch, and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR. Oh, good on you, Wayne. I always love it when Wayne pops in and says g'day. You are indeed on Radio Marinara on Thrift Pilar and before those massages. And you could see, you could, I could see all of you dancing to that last track, to the last the track under under that last message. Before that, I've been moved by Kev Carmody, which is now 31 years old. Unbelievable. Anyway, over to you, Cade, for our next guest. Yeah, I know. We've spent the whole morning talking about how we're sick of talking about corals and megafauna. And so our next guest is going to come and lift the bar for megafauna. He's live at the Woolamai Surf Lifesaving Club. We have Dolphin Dave Donnelly on board. Uh, how are you, Dave? Good morning, Kate. How are we, team? Look, we're well. doing really well there, mate. What's it like over at Woolamai there? Can you give us a quick surf check? Uh, quick surf check. I'm not a surfer, but there is swell coming in, which is smaller than yesterday. There are no surfers currently out on the uh, on the waves. It's looking a little bit uh, whitewashy in, in on shore. But um, you know, more importantly, the conditions are amazing for whale spotting right now, and we are looking at about four or five feeding humpback whales. Oh, oh right now! <laughs> right now at Cape Bulamai, yes. Oh, how far offshore are they? Like, quite clear with a good pair of binoculars? Can you see them a quite clearly? Pair of yeah, a good pair of binoculars will do it, Kate. That's correct. But uh, right now we're just uh, setting up our spotter whale session for the Island Whale Festival. Uh, it's a good start for the spotter whale, obviously, obviously, although it doesn't allow time for us to talk to people because they're so eager to check out the whales. But I'm looking, I actually just saw one surface right then, so uh, not too far away, and that's without binoculars. <laughs> we, we should have a camera on you, Dave. We'd need wow. some. Can I just check, sorry, did you just, Dave, did you say you could use storm surface without binoculars? So they're, they're that close to the to Walmart that you can actually see them without binoculars? Yeah, look, humpback whales tend to um, go from headland to headland, uh, at least a, a fair majority of them. And yesterday we had them about 200 metres off Cape Woolamai. <sighs> so I guess if you were clever and lucky enough, you might be able to use the surf cam to spot a whale. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it first on yes. Marinara. There you go. Get on the surf cam. We'll probably crash the wall of my surf cam at the minute. <laughs> now, I actually had one. Honestly, one of my questions here was, did someone remember to order the whales for the whale festival? <laughs> and it, it would appear that you've done an extraordinary job of that day. 
Look, you know, uh, I wish it was that easy, Cade. Um, yesterday morning was a good morning. We had Wales fairly close late in our presentation. Unfortunately, the, the PM presentation, we missed out. But the day before, we did get close to a few whales uh, on a vessel doing our research work um, late yesterday, oh, sorry, early on Friday. So we have been very, very fortunate, and uh, it looks like a brilliant start with brilliant weather down here at the Phillip Island. And so you're combining a bit of research, so you're obviously out there doing a bit of research as well, with this, I guess, the Phillip Island Whale Festival itself. So can you tell us a bit about the festival, what it does to the town, what people can do if they're down that area or they're on their way? Apart from yeah, joining you at Cape Willamai, which is where everyone's going, so I've sort of answered that, <laughs> Absolutely. No, look, Phillip Island Whale Festival, it's, uh, it's now called the Island Whale Festival. It was conce uh, conceived in 2016, and we had about 300-odd people show up. Uh, they weren't odd people. Oh, that's an odd number, I mean. Uh, 300 people. Oh, uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> We're now attracting uh, anywhere between four and 6,000 people per year to the festival, which is spread across the island, but mostly uh, centres around the hub in Cowes, where you can go to all sorts of education presentations. There's stallholders, there's uh, food, there's, you can build a whale out of a box and go and ride it around town as you're, if you're a little kid like me. Um, and you can also go out and spot a whale if you like. And uh, we, we combine that with our collaborators, Wildlife Coast Cruisers, who assist us with our research component, which is the humpback whale fluke identification catalogue. And they were kind enough to accommodate us on Friday after we returned in from the, on the, the research vessel. So we're, we're doing pretty well. We're, we love seeing people down here and uh, it's just fantastic to engage with the community and help them uh, appreciate the marine environment just a little bit more. And I take it you're down there because you're actually doing a – are you giving a talk or are you just all going to just stand there? Like your job's going to be easy. Everyone's just going to be looking just at whales, look. basically. There's a whale. <laughs> it's the idea if the whales aren't there, are you going to be talking? Are you going to be telling people about your research? Like, you know, apart from looking at whales, what are you going to be doing today? And if people – is it booked out? Can people join you? Yeah, of course. We, we are taking walk-ins. So the spotter whale sessions have been officially, by tri-booking, booked out. But we have to have space. And, of course, it's an open access area, so anybody can show up. It's just the presentation component will be a little tight with, uh, with numbers. But we do share information on how people can improve their whale spotting skills, what gear to use, how to stay warm in the middle of winter chasing whales. Um, and then we do another presentation later in the day, which speaks to our research work and our species identification for animals local to the area. Is there a little bit, Dave, is there a little bit of, you know, the locals, I mean, as you said, you know, this has been going on, what, now for oh, seven or eight years, or six or seven years, is there a little bit of the locals are a bit kind of, hang on, we had these whales to ourselves, you know, and there's oh, six or seven thousand people coming here, or is everyone just so excited that they're kind of, you know, like showcasing the whales and it's becoming, people are knowing, like Warrnambool, that you want to go at this time of the year, you go to Warrnambool, you go to Phillip Island, you're going to see whales. Yeah, it's a really good question. It's um, it's a little bit of both. It depends who you ask. If you ask a local surfer or a local um, person who's been here for you know a couple of generations, their families, um, perhaps the answer might be, well, we kind of liked it when it was quiet in winter. But if you're a, if you're a shop owner or accommodation person um, or a tour operator, I think you really the answer is going to be say yes, we love it. And I've noticed, uh, I now live on the island, I've noticed, as I mentioned earlier, the whale tails popping up in all the storefronts. Everyone's got their own individually painted sort of whale tail there. And there's even a beer that has come out from the local brewery to sort of to coincide with the whale festival. So they're definitely getting behind it. And 
what I wanted to ask you, Dave, is like, what are people raving about? What's been the highlight of the whale festival so far? The beer, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, um, it's, it's great that you mentioned the whale tails there, Kate. Um, that's, an, that's a new initiative from uh, Bass Council, Bass Coast Council, whereby they're providing uh, festival visitors with a $10 voucher to any store that has a whale tail in the window. So it's generating revenue for small businesses, uh, and that money is re- refunded by the Bass Coast Council to those to those. Uh, um, uh, storeholders. So, uh, that's a great too. Like after coming out of COVID, so many of those small towns, I mean, particularly the island, you know, just being nailed by the lack of international visitors and the penguins going to go and quiet. Great for the penguins, but not so great for the economy of the of the region. That's a great idea to build up that kind of regional kind of tourism base. Absolutely. No, it's, a, it's been a great um, initiative by, by Bass Coast Council and look, it's, it's kicked off beautifully. And, and I guess to answer the other half of the question is what are people raving about? I think it's just the interaction, um, the great opportunities for, for kids to get involved in doing things over the school holiday period. Um, and it always helps when the weather's good, which it is today. And uh, people are obviously here for the whale, so when they see them, um, it, it's quite a treat for them. And of course, Social media goes bananas with lots and lots of photos of things that uh, raise the expectation. <laughs> yeah, Dave, so we've been talking about the festival, talking about the whales that are there. How has the whale season been so far? Let's talk about some of this research and some of the work you're doing. It's been a good year so far. We've, we've got our dedicated observers who spend um, time at certain vantage points across the Mornington Peninsula and the Bass Coast and Phillip Island. And there's a, time, there's a timed effort. So we, we're getting a fairly good handle of when whales are arriving, when they're peaking in numbers, and really, how long do you have to spend to see a whale? That's one of the questions we can answer the, our, our punters when they come to ask those questions. So um, that's given us um, a lot of data on whale movements and whale numbers. So far, we're up to uh, 100 uh, individual sightings and lots and lots of resites. Uh, we we estimate the number of animals is about 240 have come through so far, so far, and uh, this is a, looking like a very very good season for humpback whales. Although they are a little further offshore than they have been in previous years around the island. Unfortunately, the southern right whale story is not quite as good, and it never is, um, and they seem to be having a bit of a quieter year than previous years. Wow, that's fantastic. Thank you, Dave. It's um, nice to catch up and hear about the Phillip Island Whale Festival, the fact that the whales are sitting there for you. And obviously with the research, there's still a bit of time to go. So we'll have to get you back on at another stage to... um, promote some more whales and talk whale again. And particularly maybe talk next time. I know we're running out of time, but let's talk next time about the the southern rights and why that you know, what might be behind them not bouncing back as much as the others. But we don't want to open that one up now. I agree with you, Kate. It'd be great. Let, next, next time, let's time it's it so just... we're on. Yep. Done. Right, that sounds like we're a great idea. No, Dave's going to be joining us. Thanks, Dave. Good on you, guys. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you at the Whale Festival, hopefully. If not this year, next year. Absolutely. I'll be jumping in the car. It's only 20 minutes, half an hour down the road. Perfect. Hey, you, know, you know what we should do? We should do a live, a live. Tour from the Whale Festival in Walmart the coming years. Surf Life Saving Club. There, I know Bron's listening. There you go, Bron. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinada en tres triple R. That is correct. You are listening to Radio Marinara on three triple R. And before we paid the bills, we had an awesome song from Titus in an A. Beautiful selection of music, Anth. I've actually really enjoyed it this morning. So, hats and thumbs up to you. 
And I, our next guest is joining us from somewhere, but recently she has been spending all her time. She's actually, her job has been to go diving with spider crabs. We have the wonderful Aldi Camp Press with us. How are you going today, Aldi? Hi, very well. Thank you for having me again. That's what I wanted to focus on is the fact that you actually had, for a while there, your job was to wake up in the morning, jump on a boat and go diving with spider crabs. You must be loving that. How has that been? Yes, it's been wonderful. Um, I think there's an old dream of mine uh, when I first started diving when I was like 14 years old was to get paid to do um, scientific diving. So, um, yeah, I was working as a marine biologist for a while, but not so much um, diving. So, yeah, diving with the spider crabs has been yeah absolutely fantastic. And now... I know we've talked it up and we've made it sound a bit glamorous, but a day in the fieldwork can actually be really hard work, um, especially in winter. And so I just wondered, would you be able to describe for me and the listener what you actually do in the day? So, like, what time are you getting up in the morning and then what are you doing when you actually get in the water and then when does your day end? Because obviously you're out there, you're collecting data, so your day doesn't stop there. Can you just run us through, I guess, a day in the life of a spider crab researcher? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, as you said, you know, it's winter, it's pretty cold, um, pretty pretty rough conditions. Uh, but, yeah, so we, we wake up quite early, probably 6.37, um, because the days are short, so short we need to sort of make the most out of it. So, you know, usually we, we wake up, uh, finish preparing all the gear, um, sort of load the boat for the day and um, go on to the field site. So... Uh, we did spend quite some time on the Bellarine Peninsula where spider crabs were aggregating, but we were also um, looking for spider crabs in, in other locations and servicing the cameras. So, yeah, doing field work, we're pretty much out there on the water like the whole day till, you know, till it's, it's dark. So we come back, it's dark, we unload the boat, and, um, yeah, then sometimes, you know, we, we um, download the data and we do a bit of dead entry and, and things like that and prepare for the next day. But so I'd be on the water, um, so I, I spent most of the day um, in the water. We did, um, you know, we caught some crabs to measure and, and sex them. We did uh, some transects to estimate the density of, of spider crabs. We did some tagging, which was... Um, very exciting, I think, for, for most people because that will actually tell us where, where the spider crabs go, which we have no idea at the moment, so that's that's very exciting work. So, um, we also, yeah, like service the, the time-lapse cameras that we had on the water at the piers um, at Ryan Blagory, and then we, we redeployed some cameras um, at St. Leonard as well. So very busy, very busy work, very busy week. That was, yeah, almost, almost a week um, and uh, yeah, also pretty uh, yeah, pretty grateful that we were able to do this field work with um, yeah funding from the Victorian government through Port Phillip Bayfront Grant because that's yeah brand new work that's never been done before. LOD, I'm I'm exhausted just listening to that. You know, like I'm kind of going, wow, what a day. Um, and and because you're in and out of water the whole time. Now you talked about I wanted to to delve in a little bit. You talked about sexing the crabs. Now, 
you know, for those that, you know, go along and do a bit of foreshore, Fossa King will know that, you know, you pick up a crab and you turn it over, it's in your hand, you can, you know, you can see if it's a bit pointier, the triangle on the bottom, and, you know, we can use the technical terms, but, you know, the pointy bit on the bottom, and then it's a male, if it's a bit more rounded, it's a female. But I'm just wondering, when you, you, when you pick up a spider crab, you've got a lot of legs, they're very pointy, they're very long, do you just, like, turn them over and have a look on the bottom like that? Is, is it just like looking at any smaller crab to sex them? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So we pretty much just, you know, catch them from the top, from across the carapace, so they can't really, you know, get us. And then, yeah, exactly what you described, look at the abdomen um, and, yeah, you can determine if it's a, a female or a male based on how narrow the abdomen is exactly. Now... Yeah, obviously you've got data to work through and put into spreadsheets and do some statistics and make lovely graphs and things like that. But you obviously you get a feel for information as you're collecting it. What's the vibe with the spider crabs? Are they lots of males, females, 50-50? What, what's sort of happening there? Yeah, so I guess, um, well, again, this data hasn't been collected so before, so we don't really have any points of comparison. And that was only one one point in time during aggregation. So I can't say that what I'm about to to describe in terms of results will hold through in in all situations. But pretty much what we did see was a heavily biased sex ratio. So much more males than females. And we also so we did measurements, and um, it seems like males are, are a little bit uh, bigger than females, which we didn't necessarily expect because. Um, I've been told by experts that there was no sexual dimorphism. That means that males or females are different sizes. Um, it seems like in our sample anyway, that seemed to be the case. So that's very interesting. And, uh, yeah, well, I look forward to going back out there in future years and see how how different aggregations compare and, yeah, how, how the, that data vary across years. I still find it remarkable, sorry Kate to jump in, but I still find it remarkable that we're talking about an animal that is as big as it is, that is in as large numbers in, you know, actually in the bay, and we just don't know basic stuff like that, you know, like ratio of males to females, are the males bigger, are the females bigger, it's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's, yeah, I can't wrap my brain around that either, like, because it's such an iconic species. And, um, yeah, this, these aggregations have been happening for so long. But, uh, yeah, I've been really enjoying how much we've, we've learned about spider crabs in this short period where I've started the research, you know, only months ago. And, uh, for example, recently, so we got a, a mention of the research on ABC Southern Ocean Live. And yeah, yeah, we heard that. To, <laughs> and someone reached out to say that, um, yeah, they, they they found they found a spider crab in South Australia, and I was responding saying, oh, you know, thank you very much for the information. Um, that's cool. Uh, we know that you know solitary crabs can be found through that the the Great Southern Reef, but. Um, not so much aggregations in South Australia. And um, this person actually reached out to his contacts and old network, uh, networks of, um, yeah, old fishermen. And they were telling me that actually spider crabs used to aggregate in very big numbers um, in the Spencer Gulf in South Australia. And I was not on my radar at all because I've <sighs> never read anything about it. And so, yeah, that's just, that's fascinating that, 
that hasn't been really reported. Like when when people or you hear on you know documentaries about spider crabs, it's all it's always said that they can aggregate in in Victoria and Port Phillip Bay and then in Tasmania. But uh, it seems like yeah, they might be aggregating in a lot more places than we thought. And um, yeah, it's fascinating to get this information. That's amazing. Wow. And the thing I love about this and sort of Ant mentioned it too, is that like divers have been looking at these things for years, but this is the first time we're actually getting some scientific information out of it. So stuff that's collected. I just, we're, we're going to have to wrap up in a minute or two, but one of the things I want to know is how the hell do you go about counting these things? Like how, <laughs> how big are these aggregations? How do you do it? Because I mean, divers look at them and just go, oh my God, there's just far too many. But obviously science breaks things down, has a method to do this. How do you count these aggregations, Elodie? Yeah, so we, we've been doing some uh, transacts with uh, what's called diver-operated stereo um, equipment. So it's it's pretty much two cameras on the stand, that, and we do transacts with that. And so we can review the footage and, and you know, just, just count the spider crabs and estimate densities that way as a sort of standardised method. And then um, the image that have been captured on the on time-lapse cameras are also going to be uh, up for review by, by just about anyone at home. So if you're listening in a few weeks, you'll be able to, you know, log on and, uh, and count spider crabs uh, and their predators for us. So, yeah, I'll... Um, yeah, hopefully I can give an update when that's up and running and, uh, yeah, people can get involved then too. Very cool. People yes, can alternate were... between canning seals and canning spider crabs. I was Brilliant. thinking the same thing, and you Brilliant. most certainly can come back on, Elodie. You've actually become part of the show <laughs> during this time of year, pretty much. Um, look, there is still so much to delve into that we are going to have to get you back on to discuss it further. Um <laughs> Uh, so you're saying in a couple of weeks' time you do have a newsletter. Can you just give a quick plug for that before we wrap up as to how people can keep in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So we have these newsletters where where we send um, updates and, and results from the program. So if people go on iNaturalist Spider Crab Watch program, um, when you're on the iNaturalist platform, you can scroll down under the map and see the link to sign up to that. And, um, yeah, we give all the all the spider crab news in there. So, um, yeah, people can sign up with their email and receive that directly to their inbox. Fantastic, Elodie. Keep us posted. We'll keep in touch with you and we'll keep getting you back on. And this is exciting. You're... Um, postdoc is never going to finish. It's so, <laughs> well, looking forward to hearing more from you. Thanks money. again. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So that's Elodie Campras from Deakin University. And we've got to thank our other guests. I can hear that music in the background there, Kate. Um, Shereen Maris, um, Mermaid, really, you know, underwater. Um, and... Dolphin Dave. A Dolphin Dave. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Wasn't that wonderful? And thank you so much to Nerida for keeping all of those buttons working and sliding at the right time. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.